Check out award-winning Johnson & Boone Solicitor's unique product, Legal Guard. Ideal for businesses and individuals, Legal Guard ensures you get the legal help you need when you need it. Packages start from just £24 a month and include free expert advice, access to a library of legal documents, as well as exclusive discounts on a range of services. For more information, visit johnsonandboone.co.uk forward slash legal guard and quote the code FITCHESH. You're listening to Johnson & Boone Solicitors Podcast exclusively on the Pod Station. Welcome everyone to episode 23 of the Johnson & Boone Podcast. My name is Mark. Joining me yet again... He is now a pro in the podcasting universe. It is Chris Johnson of Johnson & Boom fame. How are we doing, Chris? Good evening, Mark. Yes, fine. Um, I'm in the hot seat again tonight. You're just an old hand at this now. <laughs> it appears so, yeah. It appears so. <laughs> well, for the benefit of those who may not have heard Chris's dulcet tones before, you can check out previous shows that we've done on johnsonandboon.co.uk forward slash podcasts. You can also go to all of the major podcast platforms. There's actually links on the website if you go to the podcast tab, uh, which will take you to the one of your preference. And then if you subscribe, you'll get the latest episode as it downloads now there's 22 episodes that have gone before and the purpose of these is to deal with a topic that falls within the specialty of the johnson and boone team and just delve into it in a little more detail give you some tips to hopefully try and avoid the need for any legal assistance give you some suggestions of how you might be able to manage it yourself to a degree and then ultimately if all else fails some of the things that you need to be considering so that you can get the advice and the expertise of the Johnson & Boone team uh, to help you out to try and minimise the effect or the detriment it might cause to you in what to, whatever way, shape or form. Um, we do encourage you to send us suggestions for topics. If you send it to info at johnsonandboone.co.uk or if you go on to any of our social media pages, so Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Twitter, you can direct messages and suggest something. We'll happily pick it up and, and, and do it. Also, if you've got any questions about any of the things that we discuss on the show, then again, feel free to get in touch and we'll happily come back to you with, hopefully, what will be a decent answer for you. Um, so, Chris, uh, what topic are we going to be covering today? Um, we're going to be covering unfair dismissal. Um which is basically focusing on the um, procedure that, or the issue that an employment tribunal would have to consider um, if they were dealing with an unfair dismissal claim, um, which is essentially the employer saying, uh, the employee story saying they've been unfairly dismissed. Uh, what's the difference between unfair dismissal and constructive dismissal? Because these are probably two phrases that quite often get mixed up or certainly heard in the same conversation. Well, unfair dismissal is governed by the Employment Rights Act, and it's actually Section 94.1, one, 
Um, and that basically says that every employee has the right not to be unfairly dismissed by his employer. Now, so in that in that sense, an employee an employer is dismissing his employee for what they say is a is, is a reason for dismissal. In a, in a constructive dismissal claim, it's the employee who's saying he has a right to terminate his contract against the employer as a result of the conduct or behaviour which has breached his employment contract by his employer. And so he's saying he can no longer, all trust and confidence, essentially all trust and confidence is broken down and he can no longer be expected to remain in that uh, position or work with that employer in the future. So it's on the one hand, it is the the employee bringing the claim against the employer because he says he can no longer because of the result of their behaviour. Whereas the in terms of unfair dismissal, where the employer dismisses them, it's a case of the employee says that he has a right to dismiss, and the employee is saying he doesn't. And is there a timescale for when people can actually bring a an unfair dismissal claim in terms of when? they have the rights to be able to do it and the length of time since whatever instance it, instant it was occurred. Yeah, I mean, it's very important that you um, establish the effective date of termination because the employee only has three months in which to bring his claim um, to the employment tribunal. So he only has three months, even if there's a provision in terms of he's got a right to appeal in his contract, he still only has three months from the effective date of termination to bring his claim to the employment tribunal. Now, within that process, there is the ACAS, where you, the ACAS intervention, where you can actually um, involve ACAS in the process, and that will stop the stop the clock running, and ACAS can get involved, and that can extend it by up to thirty days. And uh, quite often, you hear of. Um, not having all employment rights is it in the first twelve months, two years? It, it, yeah, it does I mean, again, that, that that's changed um, over the over the years. Initially, the you had to the eligibility for you to bring an info, uh, an unfair dismissal claim was two years. The government then changed that to one year. So if you had one year's continuous service, you could bring a claim. The employees then lobbied to say. That's not enough. We need longer. So they have to have longer before we can assess these people who work for us. And it's been changed back to two years now. Whether that's right or wrong is often a question of debate and argument. But it has gone from two years to one back to two. Okay. And what kind of requirements, what sort of factors are we looking at um, to bring an unfair dismissal claim? How do we know whether or not we, we might have one? Well, essentially, an unfair dis dismissal is still a dismissal. Um, and there's three really real things that the, uh, the Employment Tribunal would consider. First of all, there are only two automatic fair reasons for dismissal. And that's if you've been on uh, um, an official strike and refused to go back to work when, the, when, when people are actually uh, agreed to go back to work and you continue to stay out. That would be, and you go, the employer would have every right to dismiss you as a fair reason for dismissal then because you are obviously not not agreeing to the agreement that's in place. The second one is if you're obviously in the armed service and it's national uh, security or issues like that, if you're in breach of any of those, then the employee, that's an automatically fair reason. The second area is what's known as unfair dismissal, or automatically unfair dismissal. And there's a list of uh, a schedule of what would um, be involved in what's automatically unfair dismissal. And the third one, which is the one where most people are involved in, 
is uh, and where most cases emanate from is where uh, there is what's known as potentially fair reasons for dismissal and that's where the um the crossroads are between people arguing as they think in terms of automatically fair reasons for dismissal there's lots of um incidents where that can apply where you're dismissed because you've been employed for jury service for example in relation you're dismissed because you're pregnant or you're, you're you're dismissed because you're a member of a trade union it could be a refusal to work um additional hours on a sunday was one reason there's lots of different reasons why you could be you've made a protected disclosure there's lots of various reasons which would be automatically unfair reasons um the big the big playing field in this is obviously whether or not you can be dismissed for what would be deemed a potentially fair reason for dismissal um, and these types of claims generally go very much hand in hand with the likes of discrimination don't they where um, sometimes there's a bit of an overlap do, do you tend to go for one or the other or does it does the discrimination tend to form part and parcel of something well, like this discrimination there is no qualifying period for, for that to bring a claim but yeah they do i mean you can have something for example often people will, will bring a claim because there's a discrimination element to it or they, they, they they'll say that they've been dismissed because they whistleblowed um, and that therefore it's an automatic they will argue it's or victimized because they've whistleblowed within the in, in within the organization um and as a result of that uh, they've been dismissed um or as a result of actually saying something they've been made redundant so they are part and parcel of other areas of of employment law but ultimately as a result of them invoking some right that they say they have or there's a sham redundancy they've been selected for redundancy then that can lead to an unfair dismissal claim and um, where the employee says he's been treated badly by the employer every circumstance is different at, just to put into context for the listeners we we try and go into these these sort of topics in as much detail as we can without getting into the nitty-gritty because you'd be here till christmas if if we were to do so so when i ask this question it's obviously bearing in mind that each case is obviously very different but what kind of arguments tend to exist when you're talking about un unfair dismissal well in terms of the as i said the, the, the issues in relation to automatically unfair that they could come into place but very rarely do they because it's more black and white that that's an, an auto, automatic unfair dismissal in terms of the potentially fair reasons people will say that they've been dismissed because um the employer has not followed the correct procedure has made made them for example redundant when when the process wasn't followed correctly or they've been targeted and moved out of the the role or they'll say they've been dismissed because of conduct or capability um, and they'll say that that's not true and then, and then that actually that they the process in which they've been that's followed by the employer is unfair they've been given no notice there'll be lots of different each case will have a different argument that's before they've been dismissed while they're ill on sickness um and all of these things are a question of evidence really because obviously there'll be a paper trail there'll be discussions there'll be emails there'll be some firms will do it correctly but the employer will the employee will still say it was unfair and again it's a question of obviously assessing what the person is saying to you understanding 
what the procedures was that, that were adopted before they got their letter, how they got the letter, when they got it, and then then advising them of the, the pitfalls moving forward or whether or not you believe they genuinely got a good case or what the pitfalls would be if they tried to move forward with that case as, as it stood. Uh, you mentioned redundancy and sort of a failure to follow the processes if you are an employer or an employee and you're either wondering whether or not unfair dismissal may apply to you or whether or not redundancy uh, has been done properly or you're looking at the redundancy option uh, then you can go and listen to episode 18 using the methods that I mentioned at the beginning of the show and you'll be able to listen to that in full uh, Chris go, goes through that in some good detail. Um, okay, so moving on slightly then, we've got unfair dismissal, which is obviously the person saying, well, they were unfairly dismissed from their job. Uh, I mentioned it before, constructive dismissal. Uh, what are the grounds for constructive dismissal? Well, most of the, most of the cases are that because all trust and confidence is probably the biggest one where there will be the, the employer will be asked to do something which it may well be that they say it's illegal or it's 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 something that is not in their contract and the and the pressurised into doing something or consuming something and they'll say that or the or the way in which the employee uh, is spoken to by the employer um, which humiliates them in a certain position or a certain situation. There's lots again, lots of different um, reasons why people view themselves as constructively dismissed. And they will write to their employer saying that I view my employment as terminated with effect, with immediate effect because of the incident that happened on this date and I can no longer be easily expected to work for you. It's a very difficult evidential burden for you to establish at an employment tribunal. And it's a long process to get there because the employer uh, will obviously in most cases deny that he has reached any, whether it's the implied term or it's the contractual express term of the employment contract. And so those are the reasons he has to demonstrate that there has been a breach, which is affected him in such a way that he can no longer be expected to remain in that position. And the burden switches to him on that. You mentioned before that there are sometimes fair reasons for dismissal, which an employee might consider to be unfair. Uh, do you want to go into a bit more detail about those, just so people might understand what you mean by that? Well, what they mean is that there's potentially fair reasons for dismissal, and that the employer so that the employer can rely on those reasons um, for the action that they took. Now, in relation to that, Section 98 of the Employment Rights Act sets out the potentially fair reasons for dismissal, and so that could be capability or qualifications. It could be the conduct of the employer while employee whilst in work. Um, the employee was redundant, so he's not unfairly dismissed. He's dismissed for the reason of redundancy. It could be that he, the employer can no longer uh, employ the employee because there's some enactment or uh, some restriction brought into place that if he did actually employ, continue to employ him in those circumstances, it would be a breach of legislation or government uh, restrictions. And the final one, which is obviously going to cause most con uh, concern or, you know, controversy is for some su some other substantial reason. <laughs> nice and generically vague. 
Yeah, it's generically vague. Um, and, 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 and it's a kind to justify, it's, it's essentially supposed to be a reason which is of a kind to justify the dismissal of an employee um, at that time. Now, that is so wide and vague, you can, you can understand how that can also lead to difficulties in interpretation um, and, and arguments as to whether or not it was a potentially fair reason. Does that tend to be the most common uh, reason that's used then? Um, that is that, that is another that is one of the most common reasons. A lot of the a lot of the issues is, is tend to be around the um, maybe the conduct of the employee um, in 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 the workplace, or or again the qualifications. They're just simply unable to do that job, despite training and and resources put in place to help them do that. And they're just not up to able to do that job. And so the the employer comes to the uh, decision that unfortunately no matter what we do in terms of training and uh, we need to take steps to they don't hit targets they, they don't they don't they're not able to produce documents or they're not able to produce work on the line correctly whatever the reason is they will say it's a capability issue um, and and the other what the other type is obviously some substantial reason it could be illness where they're saying they're dismissing them for illness or some other reason insolence uh, there's two parts to this question. Uh, firstly, uh, in terms of evidence, and we'll start with the employee, what kind of evidence do you need to start to collect in order to try and tackle some of these issues? Well, the employee has to basically set out. It's an evidential uh, hurdle, isn't it, that he has to overcome in this. So if he's dismissed, he has to... He has to um, demonstrate that he has been unfairly dismissed that it's not a potential fair reason it's not a conduct issue that is that it should have been a dismissal it may well be something that may well involve some disciplinary measure uh, maybe a warning or some other uh, some other measure that, that, that they could suspension uh, rather than going to the draconian step of dismissing them um so that's the reason he's got to show that his behavior or his conduct um, or his capability wasn't at the level that that, uh, that that should be something that allowed the employee to come to the conclusion that actually this person needs to be dismissed. And therefore, for those reasons, he's claiming he was unfairly dismissed. And is the burden on the employee to show that the employer has unfairly dismissed them? The burden, the burden becomes on, on, the, on the employer to show that they've taken reasonable steps to dismiss him um, in, in those circumstances. The, the allegations coming from the employee... The burden is on the employer to show that he took reasonable steps, um, so that basically he acted um, reasonably, substantively, procedurally correct in coming to the decision that he did to make that person um, dismissed. And what's the process for starting and sort of getting to a stage where the the you mentioned the tribunal make a decision on these kind of things? Do you have to? put them on notice do you have to send them an initial letter do you just serve them some court papers how does it work well often the the the, the employee will have been um, or should have been invited to um, a disciplinary meeting he should have had a chance to understand the case he faces he should have been given evidence or, or documentation that he so he's got a right of uh, dealing with that matter he should have also been able to uh, bring um if if it then gets a lesser say it's a disciplinary and he's actually in, at risk of losing his job, 
Um, he should be a right to give his version of events before a decision is made. He should be able to bring a colleague or a trade union representative in to sit with him. Um, all of these are issues that um, an, employ an employee should be able to do and an employee should go through the process and having decided on the, on, on the reasons why they want to, to come to the conclusion, they should listen to everything that's been said before making a decision to dismiss. Um, and that might, decision might be that, you know, as I said before, uh, they've, they've tried everything in terms of, they've had many meetings about performance or um, how, they can, how they can help this person. It may be training, supervision, all of those things that need to be in place. If you're going to say somebody's not capable, you can't just say you're not capable if they've got to qualify. They've been there um, most of the time for over two years in some cases. So it's difficult to, you have to show that they can't actually do the job and that what steps you're taking to give them training, supervision and reviews to, to, to actually, so you've acted fairly in, in, in trying to, in, in, in coming to the conclusion that that's why you have to make that decision. But by taking that decision, you also have to show that you've acted fairly in both procedurally and substantively in, in, in reaching that decision. If you've listened to a previous show, you will have heard us mention the phrase pre-action protocol before, uh, which tends to be a set of rules that govern things you have to do before you get the courts involved. Obviously, with these types of cases, we're talking about tribunals. Um, I suppose, firstly, we should probably explain what the difference is between a court and a tribunal. Um, why are they called something different? Who is it that you that deals with a tribunal case as opposed to a court hearing? Well, the employment tribunals were uh, originally set up for the purpose of trying to resolve disputes between the employer and employee, and it was it was it was thought of a, a, a good way of dealing with these matters quickly and effectively. Unfortunately, you know, lawyers have got involved in these matters. <laughs> and they've now become quite an area where there's lots of litigation, lots of cross appeals and applications and, and, and in dealing with employee matters. So in a, in a tribunal, um, there's different timescales in which you can do things. You have to act very quickly as opposed to uh, in, in, a, in a county court case. And where directions are given in an employment case, you have to bring it. You have to bring your claim within three months of the effective date or of determination that you say you have a claim under any added to claim, except for equal pay, which is six months. Um, but but ultimately, the, the, when you actually get to a tribunal, there will be an employment judge, there will be a lay person, and there'll often be a, a, like a trade union person. So there's three people, and they'll sit and listen to the arguments, and then they'll reach a decision. Sometimes it's a deferred reasons decision, but that's how they do it. In a court, uh, in, a, in a county court, it's obviously a deputy district judge or a judge who, who sits alone, and they'll deal with issues uh, where you've issued your claim, they'll file, there'll be a defence filed, and then there'll be a first hearing, and the, and the case will be case managed all the way to a final hearing. Whereas in an employment tribunal, um, what you, you have your follow procedure where you have to bring your claim within three months, you can get an extra month if you obviously, which you should do, invoke ACAS to try and resolve the matter between the employer and the employee. If that doesn't come to any resolution, then your claim has to be in within the three months or the three months plus one month. And at the end of that, day, at the end of that period, the employee uh, employee then has to file his grounds of resistance. Once that's done, the employment tribunal will, like a county court, set out a list of directions of what you've got to do by a certain date in terms of 
whether there's going to be um, a, a, a preliminary hearing on any issues. Um, often there is. Um, and, and then, because often there'll be an argument to say he wasn't employed um, and things like that. So it'll be pre preliminary hearings. Um, and then there'll be directions right the way up to the, to the employment tri tribunal date of what everybody's got to do. So it's very similar in terms of the solicitors dealing with it in terms of dealing with directions. It's, it's just a completely different process for the people involved in it when they have to go to, to, to the hearing um, themselves. You've mentioned that it very much mirrors a court case and obviously with three months in most cases to bring a claim, it doesn't leave much time for there to even be a pre-action protocol, so you probably usually have to jump both feet in. Um, is this something that people can or should be doing themselves or is it something that that can get quite complicated and at the very least they perhaps are better off getting some sort of advice at the outset because as we've we've discussed plenty of times prior to this court cases can sometimes end up spiraling off into all kinds of directions and end up racking up costs that ultimately um somebody has to pay well the difficulty in in these type of cases is for the for the employee is ultimately they're no longer working and and so they feel aggrieved. They've only got three months in which to take some action. Um, that's not a great deal of time to actually um, decide what you're doing. Often they're confused. Um, and then they've got the concerns of, I need to get a job. Um, how would bringing a claim affect my um, position and getting future employment? Um, so all of these are things that they have to consider. But the cost side of it is, is, is obviously a major concern. Um, very rarely will you get any cost in employment cases unless you can get a wasted cost order in, in some way. But that's, that's very rare. Most people bear their own costs. Now, if you're not earning and you've got to go and fight an employment tribunal, you have to decide, am I going to employ somebody to, to actually run this case for me? Um, or am I going to run it to trial um, and face an opponent who will be represented? So the employer will nine times out of ten represent them, get somebody to represent them, a legal team, um, and whereas the employee, employee has to decide, can I afford to do that? Um, and it, it very much depends on um, what what sort of monies they're arguing over, um, what sort of salary they're on, um, and what type of matter it is, whether they're going to employ somebody. But it's a, it's a real worry, I and mean, you know it, it's still a situation where. If you, if you were, the difficulty of you doing it yourself is, is that when you draft your ET1, it probably won't be in the, in, in any format that it may well be at a later date. The other side will say, don't understand the case we're facing. Don't understand the case we're presented with. And you'll go to a preliminary hearing and you may be ordered to resubmit your ET1, um, so that they can understand the case. Then you probably need legal assistance anyway at that point to actually fight. The difficulty also is when you're trying to file your schedule of loss. What is your loss? How do they do it? It's difficult to calculate them correctly um, when you're not legally trained to do so. So it is a slightly unfair playing field. There's not that has to be said, um, but it's a question for the for the person who's been made unemployed, whether or, or unfairly dismissed, whether they wish. But they must to um, engage themselves and try and run it themselves. They are at a disadvantage against most employees if they do that.
You mentioned compensation. Um, what what kind of compensation do they get if they are successful so that people can perhaps better equip themselves to decide whether or not they may have the financial means, even if it means paying after they've, they've secured the compensation perhaps? Well, I mean, what, first of all, they have to understand don't they, that it's a process that they're going through here. So that they will have they will have a claim that they believe that they were unfairly dismissed, but the but the employer has a defence, and the, the defence is that they've acted reasonably, procedurally, and substantially correct, and that they were reasonable in the decision that they took. Now, if 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 you can't establish that they didn't act reasonably, in other words, no other employer would ever could reasonably have come to that conclusion as an argument, as an objective view. Um, then you don't you don't win your case and you you run it all the way to trial and of course if you can if you can uh, establish that they were you were unfairly dismissed they didn't act reasonably then you can have the, the remedies are you can have reinstatement which means that you're reinstated uh, to your job that you had or reengagement that you're still employed by the company but maybe in a different role or you can have compensation which is monetary damages. Um, which is mainly covered by Section 118 to 124 the Employment Rights Act. And that means you're producing, you produce by the time you get to the tribunal a schedule of your loss, okay? So you produced what you say you've lost between your employment and the date of the hearing. And that, so you'll get a basic award, a compensatory award, um, and then you'll get, so you're basically working out um, what, what age you are at the time. So, Anyone for uh, under 20, under 20, 21 and under gets half a week's pay for each year of service. Anyone for get uh, 22 to 24 gets one week's pay for each complete service. And anyone 41 and above gets one and a half weeks for each complete year of service. That's the basic award of, of, of you'd start that off. And then the compensatory matter is what you've actually lost in your earnings. Um, you also, you also um, have to mitigate your loss as well. So one of the persons that, that they will say is you have to show that um, as well as any additional awards or any other claim, you will also have to show that you've mitigated your loss during the period that you've been un unemployed or you may well have got another job, but you have to give account for that in terms of your schedule of loss. So it's, it's again, each case is different. Each amount that you're trying to claim would be different. You need advice on that, in my view, how to, how to deal with that. Um, but most people just want the compensation. It's very rarely that somebody takes someone to an employment tribunal and says, I'm happy to go back to work. Presumably the relationship is broken down by that point. Yeah, I mean, very rarely do people do that. I mean, they, they very rarely say they want to be re-engaged, even in a different department. They certainly probably don't want to go back into the same job. Often there's a breakdown in the, in the, in the chain of command and or the line manager to the employee. Um, so they don't want to go back into that situation. So really, it's really a compensatory matter of getting as much as you can if you're the employee, um, whilst the employee's role is to um, challenge that they haven't done enough work to get a job and therefore the award should be reduced. Uh, with the inability to, well, with there being such a, a financial implication for for just running the case, never mind losing it, um, would we probably be best suggest? Uh, are, are we suggesting really that that people are worth certainly employees if they think they might have an unfair dismissal claim? 
to get some advice at the outset to to assess the prospects of it before they make a big decision because I guess in the heat of the moment it's easy to go I feel um I feel I need some justice and jump both feet in uh, without first assessing how deep the water is well yeah I mean first of all you have to understand that when somebody's um made uh, or dismissed they they will be confused and upset but they have to understand they have to act quickly and decide what they're doing so I would I would always advise them to try and seek in, uh, independent legal advice as to whether or not they may or may not have a claim what they have to understand is is that once they've made the mind of when they've got advice to potentially have a claim that, that there is a defense to those claims and that they will have probably six nine months twelve months of uh, of heartache in terms of because you'll be living that for the 12 month period you also have to understand is what um that you'll be paying your own costs of of getting to that hearing and if you're not successful you will be paying those costs of getting there if you instruct legal representation and the final point you need to understand is just because um you 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 win your case or you're successful in proving that he acted unreasonably the amount that you receive um, might give you little benefit given the amount that you pay so you have to weigh up all of that i mean in unfair dismissal and um, what what the employees need to understand is that even if they are bringing a claim to an employment tribunal it is um the award is is capped so it's capped at 50 52 weeks gross salary or in case of higher earners, it's 88,519. But it's the lower figure that is taken into consideration. So if your figure's below the 88,519, you earn 32,000. The figure's capped at 32,000. And, and ultimately, that can be reduced. So they could say, well, the company, the employment, employers acted unreasonably, but uh, we, we, you know, we're not going to award the full 12 month period. And because of mitigating factors, you failed to do this or failed to do that in looking for another job. So we'll award three months or six months. And um, so it's not always, there's no set figure that you could actually, they look at your schedule of loss. They will be trying to knock that down on the other side. And then the tribunal will have to come to what they deem is a fair figure in relation to your schedule of loss against to the counter arguments as to what the employer solicitors or representatives say should be fair. And then they'll come up with a figure, but it's still capped at one year. It sounds very much like it's well worth getting some advice as an employee very quickly to assess the merits of doing this because it does sound like the cards, the deck is very much stacked against them. Uh, Johnson and Boone obviously act for both employers and employees by virtue of the fact that you do. Uh, lots of commercial work as well. So, uh, should employers be sitting back quite comfortably, expecting people not to pursue these claims and for them to very comfortably see off these types of claims? Um, because if if the cards are stacked so heavily against an employee, why should an employer be bothered? Really, why why would they need any legal assistance, or is that a trap that they could fall into that ultimately might get them in a financial way? Uh, so, should employers be feeling quite confident, or is that a trap that they can fall into by not getting some legal advice to head these things off? Because there clearly will be situations where unfair dismissal 
does exist and people will win and if they do get £86,000 or those sorts of figures then that could be quite a substantial hit for an employer so when when should employers be getting some sort of advice on this? Um, often an employee will have advice before they take the reason to dismiss um, often that will happen um, but ultimately each case is, is, is on its merit they they have they have bigger pockets. There's no doubt to that, and they can so they can they can um, make the decision and decide. Well, you know, we we need we, we need to get legal advice at this position or, or this stage of the proceedings. But often they get them straight away because they can they can afford to do that. Um, the, it, it's the employee who often doesn't have that um, comfort. They have to make the decision: Am I going to do this and do that or not? Um, because both parties won't get the costs at the end of it, um, and so you know it, it is it, it is a big decision um, for them to for them to make that to make that decision to instruct somebody when you're uh, out of work and haven't got money coming in. It's not such a big a decision for the employee uh, to do that, and um, because they will. I think we've we've covered it in as much detail as you really can without knowing the the individual circumstances that that people find themselves in so chris if people are sitting here thinking well that's something i might want to have to look at uh, obviously we've already established they need to move quite quickly on this but how can they get in touch with the johnson and boone team or specifically yourself to get some advice um as always they can email me at chris.johnson at johnson and boone.co.uk they can Email us at info at johnsonandboon.co.uk. They can visit our website. Um, they can um, book an appointment um, via via our, 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 our app. Um, and the normal ways that we make available, which you've explained earlier on, um, that they can contact us in any of those ways. They can they can uh, telephone us and ask for a consultation, um, or they can. We're now taking. Uh, we're now back more or less face-to-face meetings now, um, whereas before we're not. So we, we can do that if people want that. Um, a lot of people still want telephone um, consultations or Zoom. There's lots of different ways they can contact us and ask for a meeting, and we can advise them. Um, and once we know once we know what, the, what they want, we can arrange to suit their needs. Fantastic. And what t- topic are we going to be covering next time? Uh, business sales. Ooh. So if you're looking to sell your business or, um, yeah, well, <laughs> if you're looking to sell your business, then that definitely is the uh, show to tune in for. Um, so thank you very much for joining us today, Chris, and we'll catch you next time. Get social at Johnson & Boone on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter.